0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. As you can tell, the pandemic has not been good to me, comparing that picture to me now. I think that picture was doctored. I don't know. I'm not 100% sure. Whether you are cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. How fun to worship together as a church family this morning, both in the gym, at the Y, and online. Thank you for being here and worshiping together with us. Well, you may have seen or read either way that as of last Wednesday, the state of North Carolina said that anyone 16 or older is now eligible to receive a COVID-19 vaccine. And so we're thankful to the medical, the scientific, the governmental leaders who made that sentence possible. We also know that the state lifting all restrictions around which adults can receive a vaccine helps us as a church to begin to plan what a ramp up strategy looks like for the months ahead. We're not going to rush it, but we also don't want to be flat footed. So we're going to just now that restrictions are lifted on who can be vaccinated, we'll let that kind of play out for a little while as we also start to think about how that lets us start to, my language, fire up some engines that we had to turn off very quickly about 14 months ago as we fire up those engines, I know we will find places where there's a need for folks to jump in and serve in one way or another. Uh, because again, we have some of these engines haven't been on for 14 months. And as we find these little opportunities where you can serve, where you can jump in, you can make an immediate difference in something we're trying to do. You could also meet some other people, develop a servant's heart. As we define these kind of things, we'll make them known and have folks jump in. In fact, a few weeks ago, we said that we had a need for three, folks to join the setup team, one person to join the pack-up team. And within eight days, all of those were were taken. So uh, people had raised their hands for that. So well done to the church family for such a quick response. And that's not the first time we're going to do that, because we're about to, as we say, fire up engines that haven't been on for a little while. So a lot of great opportunities for you to get a little more plugged into the life of the church in the months ahead so one of my favorite musical artists is Bob Dylan. But I will be the first to admit, I don't know what a lot of his songs are about. But he did write one song that I do know what it's about. And the song is called Gotta Serve Somebody. So Dylan wrote this song after he had a vision of Jesus that rocked him. And the, the theme of the song, kind of the, the, the song is about that, uh, well, you have to serve somebody. Whether you're a socialite with a string of pearls, a preacher preaching spiritual pride, you know, on the city council taking bribes on the side. Whether you're a state trooper, a construction worker, whether you sleep on a king bed or on the floor, we are all equalized by this statement, you gotta serve somebody. And then Dylan concludes by saying, it might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. He sang this song at the Grammys in 1980. People loved it. People hated it. John Lennon was so mad, he wrote a song called Serve Yourself. I guess missing the point that that is someone a lot of people serve. Our lives point to something, our lives point to someone. Our lives are in the service of something or in the service of someone. It might be ourselves, it might be the Lord, it might be the devil, it might be what we've been taught, it might be what everyone around us is saying, but someone or something has captured our imagination. Someone or something tells us who we really are. Someone or something tells us how we should be living. And so my question for today is a very personal question. It's a question I cannot answer for you because it's a very personal question. The question is, who do you serve? And how's it working out? Now, I can have some guesses for how you might answer the second question. You might have guesses for how I might answer the second question. But the first question is a very personal one. Who do you serve? How's it working out? As we walk through the sermon today, I hope you'll keep that question in your mind. Who do you serve? How's it working out? So Bob Dylan still performs the song today as if to say, after all he's seen, he wants you to know you got to serve somebody. Who will it be? And what effect does that decision have in your life? So today we want to look at the final words, the, the farewell speech of a biblical leader named Joshua. And what we're gonna find is that either Joshua had heard this Bob Dylan song, or Mr. Dylan had read about Joshua. I will let you decide. But we continue in our year-long series of sermons called The Story with a capital S. We're looking at the big picture of the Bible, that from the beginning of time, God has been writing a great story in this world, and he invites you and me to find our place in it. To help you with that, we've put together some resources. These are optional, but they can help you go a little bit deeper into the Scripture, make the Bible a little less big, a little less intimidating. They're online. They're also in our weekly email that we send out lakeforest.org slash lfcd the story. There's a reading plan if that breaks it down by week. There's a family reading plan in case you and your kids want to do reading together. There's videos that give you an overview of a book of the Bible. If that seems like something you would benefit from. Again, try to make the Bible a little less intimidating. If this is your very first Sunday with us, or if you came last Sunday on Easter and this is your second Sunday with us, welcome. Welcome back, and good for you for taking this step of worshiping together. And the truth is, you picked a great Sunday to come, because the bulk of the passage today is Joshua summarizing the Bible up until this point. So if this is like you're just jumping in midstream on a series about the big picture of the Bible, great. Joshua today is going to preach his own sermon called The Story with a capital S, looking at the overview of the Bible. He only had five, actually six books to summarize, instead of the 66 we have now. So Chad read this for us earlier, Joshua chapter 24. It's called Joshua's Farewell Speech. It's a very long wind-up with a very short pitch, but it's a really good pitch. So hang with me through the windup and we'll get to the pitch. Because what Joshua's going to do is he's going to share God's message with the people. He's going to remind the people or recap the Bible up until his point. Then he's going to talk about his part, his book of the Bible. And then he's going to leave all of us with the challenge to consider who we serve. Joshua is an old man at this point. He's led God's people for decades. He begins his farewell speech this way. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. Okay, so he's going way back. He left out the very first part of the Bible where God creates the world, God creates humanity in his own image, and then uh, humanity and all of creation get lured into rebelling against God. But he picks up in chapter 11 of the Bible where God is promising that he's gonna restore the broken relationship. God's gonna restore what we broke. And Joshua picks up at chapter 11 of the Bible and says our ancestors way back in chapter 11 worshiped all kinds of gods They didn't know the God with a capital G They didn't know the story with the capital S that he was writing, but all that was about to change so Joshua's uh, Sends God's message to the people it continues, but I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him through Canaan and gave him many descendants I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, Sire maybe, but to Jacob and his family, they went down to Egypt. That is God offering through Joshua a summary of the first book of the Bible. I'm guessing some of y'all hope that Joshua will come preach the sermon next week. God is starting to pick up the broken pieces. God is starting to make a work of art. He starts with the broken pieces, Abraham and Sarah. He promises that through their family, he's going to bless the people of every family. And that promise, also called a covenant, that covenant is an everlasting covenant that will culminate in Jesus the Christ who was born into the biological family of Abraham and Sarah. And as part of that everlasting covenant God promises Abraham, God promises Sarah, their descendants will have a place to call home, a promised land. And the other side of the covenant is that Abraham and all his male descendants will be circumcised as a sign, as a reminder of God's everlasting promise from generation to generation. Now before half of you break out in a cold sweat, you should know that the Christian view has historically been that male circumcision gave way to water baptism in the ministry of Jesus as the sign of the covenant. I'll let you guess which half it is going to break out in a cold sweat. But it starts at circumcision, it gives way in the ministry of Jesus to baptism. Joshua continues God's message for the people. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. So Abraham and Sarah's family become so big, they become a people, the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, they're enslaved in Egypt, but God delivers them. God delivers them and in delivering them gives them the second sign of the everlasting covenant because on the night when the firstborns died in Egypt, God passed over the homes of the enslaved Israelites who had covered their door frames with lamb's blood. And so a meal called the Passover became the second sign of the covenant. And in the ministry of Jesus, that gave way to communion. The Egyptians finally released the Israelites from their slavery, and so the Israelites, they were led by Moses and Moses' siblings, Miriam and Aaron. They packed up quickly. They got out of Dodge. Dodge is also called Egypt. They got out of Egypt. This is when the Egyptians realized that when you give away your free labor, your labor costs are going to go up, and they had a change of heart. And so they began to pursue the people, pursue the Israelites to the Red Sea. Verse seven, but they, the Israelite people, they cried to the Lord for help and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. This is one of the most dramatic scenes of the Bible, that God uses a, a wind to miraculously divide the sea so that his people can escape out of Egypt. And Pharaoh is so bent on recapturing them that he goes out, he and his army go out into that sea. Their chariots become stuck, and that's when the wind stops and the sea collapses. And it's a calamity for the Egyptians who so wanted and had so oppressed God's people. So that is Joshua's summary of the second book of the Bible. He continues, Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. That's Joshua's summary of the third, fourth, and fifth books of the Bible. Now you really want Joshua to come preach next week. God's people lived in the wilderness, the desert, for a long time, and God led the people to a mountain called Mount Sinai, and at Mount Sinai, he gave them the Ten Commandments, he gave them other instructions, in other words, here's how you can be my shining light of hope in a hurting world. At the end of 40 years, under God's guidance, Moses made Joshua the leader of God's people to lead them into the promised land. So when I say this is the farewell speech of a leader named Joshua, Joshua is noteworthy in the Bible because he is Moses, like the Moses, Moses' successor. He's an early leader of God's people. So now we've made it to the sixth book of the Bible, which is called Joshua. (laughs) So this, the leadership of Joshua, the book of the Bible called Joshua. Do you want to hear Joshua's summary of the sixth book of the Bible? I did good. No, no, I'm kidding. That's not it. His summary of the sixth book of the Bible goes like this. Then, this is Joshua relaying God's message to the people. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. Not the verse of the Bible you have to want to say five times fast. God causes the Jordan River to get dammed up. This allows Joshua to lead the Israelites across the Jordan into the promised land. Yippee. (laughs) They made it. (laughs) They made it to the promised land. Centuries in the making, they made it to the promised land. Now the Israelites have a place to call home. They have a place to put down roots. They have a place from which to be the shining light of hope in a hurting world. The problem is there are also some big scary people who already live in the promised land. And what we learn in the book of Joshua is that a lot of those big, scary people had heard about what happened at the Red Sea. And this had caused the people who already live in the Promised Land to have two very distinct reactions. Some of them, like a woman named Rahab, the Bible calls her Rahab the prostitute because that's what she did professionally. People like Rahab had come to revere the God of the Israelites. They had turned their hearts towards the God with a capital G. And other people, upon hearing what had happened at the Red Sea, had decided to band together to keep the Israelites and their God out of the Promised Land at all costs. The second response is especially common among the kings, the kings of the Amorites and the Canaanites and the (laughs) Moabites—that They are kings. They're used to being served. They're not interested in serving anybody, not even the God who parted the Red Sea to save his people from slavery. That God would make them give up some of their practices. Many of these people already in the promised land were were renowned, were well known for their immorality, for their uh, sacrifice of children. Child sacrifice was a common practice among many of these people. And this God with a capital G would make them give up some of those practices and they were not interested in all that, so they banded together to destroy the Israelites and run off their God with a capital G. How do you imagine this turned out? The Israelites were badly outmatched and yet they won military victory after military victory against the hostile people of the Promised Land. The God who delivered them from Egypt made sure that they could settle in the Promised Land. Now the truth is, a lot of modern readers do not love all the violence in this part of the Bible. And I understand that, especially when you read these passages in isolation. But when you look at the totality of this part of the Bible, there's a a picture that starts to emerge. There's a pattern that starts to emerge, and Joshua saw it. And it became the basis of the challenge he's going to make at the end of his farewell speech of seeing this pattern in the lives of of people. As Joshua and the Israelites settled in the promised land, they saw two things. They saw number one, number one, number, 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 number one. They saw the ruin of those who would not surrender to God. This is the theme they started to watch play out time and again. They saw the ruin of those who would not surrender to God. And this was true for people both inside and outside of Abraham's family. It was not just an insider-outsider thing. This happened to Pharaoh. This happened to the king of the Amorites. It happened to the Canaanites. It happened to people who followed those king's commands. It also happened to Israelite people who went against the clear instructions of God, most famously a man named Achan in Joshua chapter 7. But then the opposite was also true, that as Joshua and the Israelites settled in the promised land, they saw number two, the protection of and the provision for those who did surrender to God. The protection of and provision for those who did surrender to God. And, and this was true again for both insiders and outsiders. Because some of the people groups in the promised land, like the Gibeonites, a lot of ites today, like the Gibeonites, they were not hostile to the Israelites. They made peace with the Israelites. That woman Rahab, the prostitute, she was not an Israelite. But she protected the Israelites, believing their God was the one true God. And, and Joshua and the people saw the protection and provision of those who did surrender to God, even if they were not part of the official Israelite people. The Israelites saw God protect and provide for them as well as they entered the promised land, but part of that was that when they entered the promised land, Joshua recommitted the Israelites to celebrating the Passover and circumcising all males. They had stopped doing both of those during the 40 years they were wandering in the desert, in the wilderness. And so when they got to the promised land, Joshua reinstituted both signs of the covenant. And everyone let out a great cheer half the people a little louder cheer than the other half they surrendered to God they let God lead them they let God fight their battles and so God says this in verse 13 so I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build and you live in them and you eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant In the Israelites surrender to God, in the Gibeonites surrender to God, in Rahab's surrender to God, they experienced a greater victory than they could have ever won for themselves. In their surrender, they experienced a greater victory than they could have ever won for themselves. The people saw God's protection and provision for them as they surrendered to God, as they trusted their lives into God's hands. And again, it's not an insider-outsider thing. God met everyone's surrender with His eternal embrace. Everyone's surrender. So you take these two points together, and it actually helped Joshua make sense of one of the weirdest things that ever happened to him. It's in Joshua chapter 5. It's night. It's the eve of a battle against one of these hostile groups of people. And Joshua encounters a mysterious person, and that encounter rocks him. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went up to him. Now I think I might have run, but okay. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. So this mysterious visitor, this angel, or maybe it's God in human form, answers Joshua's question in a way that changes everything for him. Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither. In other words, nope, wrong question. This heavenly visitor is trying to drive home the point of the journey into the promised land, which is, Joshua, it doesn't matter whose side I'm on. It matters whose side you're on. That's what Joshua had been seeing throughout his whole life, throughout the, 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 the move into the promised land. It's like surfing in the Pacific Ocean. Now, I don't know much about surfing, But I do know this, the people who see the waves and try to ride the waves do a lot better than the people who act like there are no waves. I do know that. The people who see the waves and try to ride the waves do a lot better than the people who act like there are no waves. Because those waves are big enough, you ignore them at your own peril. How much more so with God? that God is doing something in this world. God is bringing about His redemptive plan to its full fruition, and God's redemptive plan is a wave, and it is an invitation. It is a wave that we can learn to see, and we can start to ride, or it's a wave that we ignore or fight against at our own peril. God's redemptive plan is a wave, but never forget, God's redemptive plan is an invitation. God invites us into his mission in this world. God invites us to join in the work he is doing in this world. God invites you and me to surrender to give up trying to serve ourselves, give up trying to fight against His work in our lives, God invites us to surrender, to trust our lives into His hands. Now, surrender is not about being passive any more than a surfer is passively riding a wave. It takes active intention. Surrender is about actively trusting our lives into God's hands actively pursuing God's desires, actively going after God's best for our lives and for this world. And so Joshua ends this way. That was the wind-up. Here's the pitch. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the God of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. With all Joshua has seen in his life, having seen God's redemptive plan as a wave that some people try to fight in vain, Joshua tells the Israelites, To fear the Lord, meaning revere the Lord, revere the Lord's power, revere God's mercy, and serve the Lord with faith, trust that a God-centered life is truly life. And then he takes this turn that shows you he has a lot of confidence in who God is. He says, but if you don't want to serve the Lord, you got to serve somebody. So just be honest about who or what that is. Do you want to worship what your ancestors worshipped? Do you want to worship what everyone else around you worships? Do you want to worship this promised land instead of the God who got us here in the first place? Choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. The New Testament says it this way in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone, 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 if anyone, whoever, if anyone, a socialite, a preacher preaching spiritual pride, a person on the council taking bribes on the side, a state trooper, a construction worker, if you sleep on a king bed or sleep on the floor, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. So what is God doing in this world? He is reconciling the world to himself. He is reconciling the world to himself, culminating in the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus the Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. Not counting your sins against you. God is picking up the broken pieces and making works of art. He can do that in your life. He can make you new. As a follower of Jesus, or if today, or at some point in the future, you become a follower of Jesus, Jesus makes you new. If anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. A new creation. What kind of new creation? A minister of reconciliation. A minister. Every Christian is a minister. A minister who can learn to ride the wave of helping God pick up the broken pieces of people, pick up the broken pieces of communities, and make a work of art. Jesus can do it, and you can help. And it starts at surrender. It starts at surrender. It starts at actively giving up. So that you can come to ride God's wave, choose this day who you will serve. Who do you serve? And how's it working out? Who do you serve? How's it working out? Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever he's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, I thank you for each person in our church family, each person worshiping here today, each one brought here by you, each one making us more the church family you've wanted us to be. Lord, I pray that by your grace you will make us strong and courageous. Strong and courageous enough to surrender to you with a simple and sincere prayer. Strong and courageous enough to own that if we are in Christ, when we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. You are calling us to a different sort of life. You have given us a different sort of life. And Lord, I pray you will make us strong and courageous enough to join you in the work you're doing in our lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our businesses, where we see injustice, where we see hopelessness. We pray by your grace, you will give us the strength and the courage to join in the work you're doing. We pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, let's continue in our worship. As Katie said, we would love to Pray for you online, Davidson prayer at LakeForest.org. Here in the gym, all prayer requests can go in the wicker basket. That's also where if giving is part of your worship today, you can give online, LakeForest.org give. Let's stand, let's worship together.